appreciate it that. Glad you all are here. I'm enjoying Yes Weekend. Appreciate the invitation to come, and I hope something can be said in this next lesson that would encourage us. On the screen before you, you see a man named Vince Lombardi. Vince won the first two Super Bowls. In fact, now the Super Bowl trophy is named after him. It's called the Vince Lombardi Trophy. So when you win the Super Bowl, you get this trophy named after him because of his legacy of winning. He had this quote. Vince said, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. And when he mentioned that, he was interviewed about it later, and he tried to retract it and try to clean it up and say, like, well, I didn't really mean that, and winning's important, but it's not really that. He tried to fix it. But I just want you to think about it. Is winning the most important thing? In your life, does it really matter whether you win or whether or not you lose? I would say for the Christian, Vince is right. Winning isn't just everything. It's the only thing. 1 John 5 and verse 4 says about faith, our faith is the victory that helps us to do what? Overcome the world. And so in Christ, if I'm really in Jesus Christ, I always have the victory. It matters because it, it ties into my faith. In fact, the Christian that doesn't have faith, he or she can't even move about. Crippled by this idea that I don't have it. Because Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we actually walk by, we walk by faith and not by sight. Without it, I stumble in darkness and I can't move about as I would. But as we go through this afternoon, I don't want you to think about faith from this idea that in Christianity, faith is just a blind leap into the dark, a better felt than told sort of experience. The exact opposite is true. The Bible talks about faith being the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That is, we believe confidently and trust in what God has said based on the evidence that God has provided. You can't please God without faith, Hebrews 11 and verse 6, and so we need it. And there have been songs written about faith, and you've heard lessons on faith. There have been books written about it. But if we're honest, faith is like a wet bar of soap or like a fish fresh out of water, isn't it? It's sometimes hard to hold on to. I mean, I want to have faith, and I know I should. I'm a Christian, but there are times when the title of this lesson describes me. I am faithless. And we might think that's just an innocent sort of thing, but I want to show you this afternoon that it is very important. Because there are consequences to being individuals that struggle and that don't believe. There's a way that we can rise over the things that would rob us of our faith. And how do I get it back? I mean, if I had all these lessons are great. You talk about not sending the message and about being the right type of person. But what if I don't believe it? I mean, what if I don't believe all the things that are taught about God? And I'm just sort of floating through Yes Weekend. Well, if that's you, I hope this lesson will help. Turn your Bible to Numbers 13. Numbers 13, that's where we're going to be. And... We're going to look at some individuals who, suppose, who should have had faith, but who really didn't. Now, I'm going to get you ready for Numbers 13 before we get there. God had promised Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. You remember that he was going to give his people the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. Question, when God says he's going to give us something, what does that mean? Deuteronomy 2.29, he calls it the land that I'm giving you. When God says in Scripture, I'm going to give you something, that means... While there might be some human involvement and something we have to do, that means you can bank on it. It's a guarantee God's going to come through. I guess that wasn't good enough for Israel. It was their idea, after all, to go in. They, wanted, they got close to Canaan. They're about to receive everything that God had promised them, and it was their idea. Moses says it in Deuteronomy 1, 22 and 23. It was their idea to send in spies, to just check it out. God went along with it in Numbers 13, 2. He says, all right, if you want to send in spies, this wasn't God's doing, but he says, you can do that. And there are some names listed in Numbers 3, Numbers 13, 3 through 16. And listen, if you know any of those names except for two, you are the Bible Bowl champion of the lifetime. Yeah. You probably don't know them. 
except for two, Joshua and Caleb, and you don't know the other ten spies for good reason, because faithless people are never remembered. There's a disciple. We call him what, Thomas? What's his first name? We just know him because he didn't believe. He said in John 20, you remember, I won't believe unless I see him myself and put my hands into the nail. He was a doubter, and that's how these people were. And so Moses says, go ahead, send spies into the land. And so they do. They go out, they search out the land. And they find out that the land is everything that God promised them. It's called the land flown with milk and honey. Now, there wasn't literal milk and honey, but it just means it was a land greatly to be desired and prosperous and great. Some people look at Disney like a land flown with milk and honey. Yeah, it just spews rainbows and glitter and Mickey. People love Disney. Well, that's how Canaan was. People really wanted to go. And when they got there, they said, oh, it's great. And they bring back this report. I'm in Numbers 13, and let's go ahead and read 26 down through 33 together. This is the report the spies bring back. They went and came to Moses, to Aaron, to all the congregation of the children of Israel, to the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, and they brought back word to them and to all the congregation. They showed them the fruit of the land. They told him and said, we came to the land where you sent us, and surely it flows with milk and honey. This is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people will be strong that dwell in the land. The cities are walled and very great, and moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up, went up with them said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than us. And they brought back an evil report of the land, which they searched to the children of Israel, saying, the land through which we've gone to search it. It's a land that eats up its inhabitants. All the people we saw in it are men of great stature, and there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which are come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. Listen, they come back from the land, and this is their scouting report. Now, verse 23 of Numbers 13 says, they bring back grapes that are so big, you've never seen grapes this big. They've got to put it on a pole and carry it between two of them, and they come back and they say, Moses, the land is everything you told us it would be. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, and everything's great, but there's just one problem. There are giants in the land. You see what's happened. Verse 3 says these people were the leaders. I mean, they come back and they infect the entire camp of Israel with this idea that it just can't be done. And sometimes that happens concerning this topic. Mom, dad, preacher, elder, we ought to be leading the young people in this idea of faith. If we always speak defeated or pessimistic or if we don't know why we believe what we believe, we shouldn't be surprised. When curiosity soon carries our children into apostasy, it is our duty to bring back a good report. God didn't tell them to go spy out the land. God was going to give it to them, and the spies should have came back and said, you know what, there's stuff over there in the land that we like, that we enjoy, and there are giants in the land, but we do have the trump card, which is God. They mention nothing about God. In verse 32 and 33, all you see is the inhabitants of the land. There are giants. There are the children of Anak. We just can't do it. There's just no way we can overcome. How often are we like the spies of Israel? <coughs> you know, my scouting report says I'm going to heaven. There's salvation. I can have the forgiveness of sins. Jesus loves me. God died for me. I'm in Christ. All of these things are great, but I'm a grasshopper, Right? Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you think you can, you can. If you think you can't, you can't. And sometimes we live below our spiritual privileges because we say, I'm just a grasshopper. I'm never going to be anything. I talked to a girl one time. There was some youth event going on, and she was sort of sitting off to the side. 
And I went up to her and I talked to her. I said, what's going on? She said, look at all these people. They're just so happy and their lives are just going, I just don't fit in with this group. I just, I'm just not on fire like them. And I just don't have the things that they have. And I have real problems. And all of that may have been true. I didn't grow up in the church. I get all of that. But this is the point. Did she have the same God? Because that's what matters. You see, if you have the same God, it's not really, well, I'm not like them and my home life isn't perfect. Forget about all of those things. If we have God, we can overcome. People are afraid of a lot of things, you know. I'm sort of semi-claustrophobic. Every time I get on an elevator, I'm afraid I'm going to get stuck in it and starve to death. And so I normally take the stairs, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, people are afraid of spiders and dirt. And people are afraid of a lot of things, but there are some people that are afraid of success. It's called achievement-phobia. It's a real thing. People have failed so long that they will actually go into a land, come back with the fruit in their hands and say, we can't do it. Been a slave in Egypt for so long they can't even enjoy freedom. It's the same sort of thing that will make a child of God say, I'm redeemed, I'm forgiven, but I'm never going to see heaven. I'm never going to have all God has for me. I just can't do it. And we develop this idea that I'm just never going to be good enough. And so the spies come back with evidence in their hands, but not in their heart. And they just say, we're just not good enough. The giants are just too strong, too big. We can't. They forgot about the Red Sea. They forgot about all of God's blessings, the deliverance of the plagues. They just say, we're just never going to be good enough. And so they write themselves off. There are two men in this camp, though. There's a man named Joshua, and there's a man named Caleb. And Caleb stands up in verse 30, and he tells everybody to be quiet. The old King James says he steals the entire crowd. And you know what he says when he stands up? We can go in. We can conquer the land. If you look at chapter 14 and verse 24, it says about Caleb and Joshua, these two guys, they had a different spirit. They had a different attitude about things. They, but this is the fun thing. Caleb and Joshua, they saw the same thing. That's how faith is. Everybody in the world tonight, this very moment, has the same evidence presented before them. They saw the grapes, they saw the land, they saw the giants, but there's one thing that Caleb and Joshua saw that the other ten guys didn't. They saw God. Look at the difference in their speech. I'm in chapter 14, and notice what happens in Numbers 14. This is the difference between these two speeches. Joshua gets up in verse 6 with Caleb, and this is what they say. Now, you read the other speech. There are giants, the sons of Anak, and we just can't, we can't. But look at verse 8. If the Lord delight in us, he'll bring us into this land and give it to us a land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. That is, we can eat them up and devour them. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. When you read the speech of the ten spies, not one mention of God. All they can focus on is how big the giants are. You know, to God, all giants are the same size. I know we read about Goliath and we think about how big and how, you know, to God, all giants fall. Some take longer than others, but all of them eventually fall. Three times in two verses, Joshua and Caleb say, the Lord, God, we can, we know we can. They're bread for us. And they had a different attitude. Had they ever seen God destroy a giant before? You say, where are they getting this evidence that the people are bred and we can overcome giants? Where did they get this from? Had they ever seen it done before? I would argue they had. The empire in Egypt was as tall as a giant to most people. Nobody could touch Pharaoh. You remember what he said? Who is the Lord God that I should obey his voice? And after ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea, they get it. Same God, different foe. They get it. It doesn't matter what the challenge is. So long as we have God, we can overcome. His name's Shaquem Griffith. Maybe you know him. He suffered as a young child from what's called ambionic band syndrome. 
And that is his hand on his left, his left hand, the fingers wouldn't form up. When he was four years old, his mom stumbled in the kitchen and the pain was hurting him so bad, she caught him trying to amputate his own hand. The next day, she and his dad, they just took him down and they had the hand amputated. Throughout his life, he and his, his, his brother, they were able, he continued to play sports. He ran track, played baseball, played football, and you, you can see from the screen, he winds up in the NFL. And we, we hear about stories like this and we say, oh, what courage. Oh, he overcame the impossible. How could he do something like that? He was physically and able to do things that most people say you just couldn't be done. I mean, if you're going to play football, surely you need, you need two hands. There are people with two hands that can't catch a football. How are you going to do it with one? And we're just astounded. We're just impressed, and we give people like this accolades. And, and then we say, you know what? We serve the God who hung the stars and the moon, and I just can't overcome temptation. Oh, I just don't see how it can be done. I just, I'm just always going to be mediocre. I can't overcome doubt. I can't overcome sin. But people in the world have overcome things, and we just always sell ourselves short. In 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7, Paul said to Timothy, God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, maybe somebody has fear. Maybe there are doubts, and we'll talk about what we ought to do with those things. But Paul says, I know where you didn't get it from. You didn't get that from God. Joshua and Caleb believed the truth. We are always conquerors in Christ, 2 Corinthians 2, 14. We're always led in triumph. God doesn't know what it is to have a comeback victory because he's never behind. He's always leading his people. God's always out in front. And if we're on his side, however tall the giants may be, they'll crumble and fall. If we're like Joshua and Caleb, we can talk about our doubt and about our problems with faith. We can overcome it. We can beat it. We should know some of the enemies of our faith if we want to overcome. So th this is the, the lesson. You have Joshua and Caleb, and then you have the ten spies, right? Joshua and Caleb say, you can be in the minority and still be right. <clears throat> you can pick up your Bible in a world of unbelief and say, I believe this is the word of God. I believe Jesus is the son of God. I can know how to get to heaven and of what church I need to be a member. I can figure out all of those things. Joshua and Caleb teach us truth doesn't abide with the majority. I can be by myself and still be right. But what are enemies to our faith? Why do people struggle with this? Why are we sometimes faithless? This list isn't exhaustive, but I want to give you some ideas. Number one, we delay our doubt. Now, we talk about Thomas, and we call him what? What's his first name again? Doubting Thomas. But to Thomas's credit, you know, when Thomas had problems, Thomas tried to seek out the answers. We sometimes delay our doubt. This is the way this one works. You know, I'm really wondering about God. Does God really exist? I mean, is the Bible really the word of God? And can I be sure I'm in the right church? And so I'm struggling with my faith, but I'm not going to say anything to anybody because after all, God forbid anybody ever think of me as an unbeliever. People are going to get all over me. And so I'll just suppress it. And maybe it'll go away, but that doubt, it continues to grow and fester. There are real answers to our faith. But we just say, you know what? I'm just going to push it off and maybe it'll disappear. And every couple of months, that anxiety, that feeling, it just sort of creeps back up. It's not going anywhere. We've got to face it. We've got to tackle it. Number two, we do business with the devil. This is the person that knows far too much Bible to be 100% worldly, but at the same time cares far too much about what other people think to ever really be sold out for Jesus Christ. So there's this sort of fence straddling. And let me tell you, the devil owns the fence. And so people say, well, you know what? I'm not going to be 100% worldly, but I wouldn't ever really get serious about Christianity. James 1.8, James says, a double-minded man is unstable in everything that he does. This person says, I want to sort of please both. If you live your life split in half, you'll fall apart. 
We've got to figure this out. You can only be one person at a time, and you've got to decide. I've got to decide. It's going to erode my faith. Every time I try to be two people at once, a little air is let out of my faith. A little at a time. It keeps happening, and eventually I'm in a world of unbelief. How did it happen? I'm doing business with the devil. People that are part-time Christians shouldn't expect a paycheck on payday from God. We've got to be people that say, I want to live totally for God, and I won't divide my allegiance. Sometimes it's the doctrines of the world. Maybe evolution's right. Maybe God didn't make, maybe the Bible is just another book and I won't seek out the answers and the doctrines of the world sort of get in and creep in and I don't know about my faith anymore. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, test everything. See if it's true. If the Bible's true, remember this, truth does not fear investigation. Don't let any preacher, any youth group leader, don't let them tell you, well, just believe it, the Bible's right. If you really want to find out, you say, I'm struggling to believe, you ought to put the Bible to the test. God says he wrote this book and it'll stand up to the test. If we have hearts, we want to accept the truth. If there are questions, we ought to face them. And the Bible will be the last book standing. Number next, we do nothing with everything we have. So we just learn a lot of knowledge. We're a little walking encyclopedias, right? We've got a lot of Bible knowledge, but we don't do anything with it. This is one of the enemies of our faith, because the only faith that really stays alive is the active faith. It's not just how much Bible have you read this week, how much Bible have you done? What are you going to do with all of these lessons at Yes Weekend? It's a great weekend, you hear a lot of good things, but if we're not going to do anything with it, James says there's no Bible championship for people that are only hearers of the word. We've got to be doers. And now at the time I have remaining, I just want to talk about how do we regain our faith? What should I do if my faith has departed from me? What should I do to get right back on the right track? Number one, I should doubt my doubts. Sometimes we give our doubts far too much credit. You know, God has to sort of audition for our trust every time. I don't know about Christianity. I'm worried about whether or not I really believe this is right. But my doubts, I continue to give them credit over and over again. What if your doubts are wrong? How many times have they been wrong? How many times are we worried about things that never even have come to pass? What if we started to doubt our doubts and actually trust God and what his word says? Number two, you say I'm struggling with my faith. This is a novel one. Study the word of God. I bet you if I start this verse, most of you could finish it. Let's see. So then faith comes by and hearing by the word of God. You come up to a young man, you say, hey, what's going on? He says, I'm struggling with my faith. You say, hey, have you read the Bible? Nope, but I'm going to the Fortnite Hall of Fame, though. <laughs> you see, some of you by now, you, you should be reading books of the Bible. Where I preach, we have these little forms that people fill out, the kids do in relation to their age to sort of help them through the sermon. Some of you are long past that age. It's time to take up the word of God and be able to read and digest it and study it for yourself. You say, I'm struggling with my faith. How much Bible have you digested? How much of God's word do you know? If faith really comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and I have cobwebs and mold on my Bible, I shouldn't be surprised that I don't have much faith. It's time for some of us to grow up. You say, I'm in high school, I've read Harry Potter, and, all these, and I, I haven't read my Bible. It's time to take this serious and say, you know what? I want to destroy the faithless spirit within me. And the only way you slay that is by taking up the Bible and reading what it has to say. Have a good memory. Remember all of the giants that God has slayed before. Wes talked earlier about remembering these moments of restoration and all of this. We ought to look at our lives and say, <coughs> where has God brought me from? Joshua and Caleb, they figured it out. They remembered the Red Sea. They remembered the plagues. They remembered all that God was able to do, and it empowered them to say when they faced the new enemy, we can do this. And if we learn to have a good memory about all that God has delivered us from, when doubts creep in, we'll say, now I know God's true, and maybe I don't have the answer yet, but I want to study it out. I want to find it out, but God's true, and I trust him.
we need to look to faithful examples. Hebrews 12 is a verse that's often used at youth rallies and things like this. You know, run the race that's set before you with patience. Before that, the Hebrew writer says, there's a great assembly of people cheering you on. Their lives. You read about them in Hebrews 11. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, all of these people, not in heaven themselves, but the testimony of their lives says, I know you can persevere because I did. But you just don't, you don't have to only go to the Bible and look at their lives. Just look around your congregation. You know people who have taken life's hardest punches, cancer, death of children, and all of those things that people would use as an excuse to quit God, and here they stand. You ought to look at them and say, I want to be like you. I'm struggling with faith, but if you're able to keep going in spite of everything you faced, I want some of that. And then the last thing, we ought to look to Jesus. In the end, everything in our lives boils down to one question. What do we believe about Jesus? I mean, if you really believe that Jesus came to the earth and died for your sins, if you really God gave up Jesus for you, there's nothing that'll come between you and your faith. Paul said, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, angels, principalities, powers, height, dominion, or any other created thing can separate us from God because of the love that we have in Christ Jesus. If I really believe the promises of Jesus, if I look to all that he suffered, I'll swallow up all of my doubts with the faith of God's word about Jesus Christ. And so Mr. Lombardi says, you know, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. Was he right? About Christians he was. What does your scouting report reveal? It reveals that you can know that God exists, that the Bible is his word, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and if you live your life in conformity to it, you can go to heaven when you die. One day, Jesus was trying to help a young man. His son was sick, and Jesus went to help him, and Jesus told him, listen, I'm going to go and heal your son, and all things are possible to people that believe. And the young man said, now, I believe, Lord, but help my what? Help my unbelief. And sometimes that's you. Sometimes that's me. I really want to believe. I want to cling to these promises, but I'm struggling. There's a story about a man named Charles Blondin. You might have heard it. He's a famous tightroper of the 1800s, and he would tightrope across all of these places. And one day he says, I'm going to take on the Niagara Falls. And he does, and he tightropes across it, and he does all of these tricks along the way. He makes an omelet on his way across one time. I mean, he dances across one time. He pushes a wheelbarrow across, and all of the people are standing around and cheering and jeering. And then Charles says, does anybody here think that I can push a human being across in this wheelbarrow? And everybody says, of course you can. And Charles says, does anybody want to get inside? And they fell silent. And what Jesus says to you and what Jesus says to me is, would you get inside the wheelbarrow? If you really believe me, if you really trust me, will you do that? Maybe you've been struggling with faith. Maybe you know enough gospel to save the whole world. You've never obeyed the gospel. You've reached that point, and you know what you need to do. Wes and the elders here would be happy to assist you with that. You can turn to Jesus in faith and be baptized have your sins washed away. Maybe you've been struggling with doubt, and you just need to talk to somebody and study these things out further. But whatever you do in life, don't let go of your faith. If we can help you in any way, come now while we stand and while we sing.